If you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1. We're going to re- be reading a big portion of this, uh, of this chapter. And uh, I think it's important to set the foundation of what we're going to be talking about. So Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Day one, we have the creation of heaven, the earth, water, darkness, and light. These things that God established on day one. And then the second day, it says this, And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the vault, this firmament, and separated the water from under the vault, under the firmament, from water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, there was morning, the second day. Day two, we have the creation of this firmament, this solid canopy that separated waters and held the waters above from the waters below. And then God said in verse 9, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the ground appear, dry ground appear. And it was so, and God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called sea. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to its various kinds. And it was so. And the land produced vegetation, plant bearing seeds according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in accordance to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning the third day. On day three, we have that God reveals the land. He withdraws the water. He created the seas and he made plants and trees grow on the third day. And then in verse 14, it says, And God said, Let the lights in the vault of the sky be separated from the light from the the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark the sacred times, the days, and the years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and night, to separate it, the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. On the fourth day, God makes the sun, the moon, and the stars for a specific purpose. And this is important to notice these things. And I think there's three things that we overlook. But what the text clearly says, first, that the sun, the moon, and the stars were designed to serve as a calendar marking the times, the days, and the years. They were simply the calendar. Less than 500 years, we... We went from a, a, a earth-centered universe to a sun-centered universe. But the sun was not designed to be the center. It was designed to be a part of the calendar system that God would use in order to mark the times, the days, and the years. So that was the first thing that God designed the sun, the moon, and the stars for. The second thing is that the sun and the moon and the stars were designed to give light to the earth. The sun, the moon, and the stars were specifically designed to give light to the earth. Not just to be light for the universe or the galaxy or anything. It was specifically designed to light the earth. According to Genesis, first, the sun and the moon and the stars were designed to serve as calendars. The second, they were designed to give light to the earth. And the third thing, and this is just 
things we just kind of overlook with Scripture here. But the third thing, according to the text, they are not the things that are used to produce day and night. You notice this, that on day one, God created light to separate light from darkness. On day four, God designed the sun and the moon to oversee the day and the night, not to produce day and night. Because if you notice in day one, day two, and day three, all of, it said, all of those verses say there was evening and there was morning the fourth the, fifth, the first, the second, and the third day. And now on the fourth day, we have the same pattern. But now the sun and the moon appear. So three things that I think are important to notice here, and that is the sun and the moon were designed to give to be a calendar. They were designed to give light to the earth, and they were only to govern the day and the night, not to create day and night. And then verse 20, it says, And God said, Let the waters teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly above across the vault of the sky and so god created great creatures of the sea and every living thing in which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and winged birds according to its kind and god saw that it was good and god blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds let the birds increase on the earth and there was evening there was morning the fifth day so on day five god creates the birds to fly across the earth in the heavens or we would call it the sky and then he also created the fish to be in the sea and for the first time god blessed his creation in verse 22 it said that god blessed them Blessed simply means that God gives them the means, the ability to do what they were asked to do. And what did he ask them to do? To be fruitful, to increase in their numbers. Just as a side note here, God blesses his people. And we will see in just a few verses here that God will bless man and woman. That God will give us the ability to do what he asks us to do. How many times in life do we think we don't have the ability, we don't have the strength, we don't have the resources, we can't do what God is asking us to do? I know I think that all the time, but when God blesses something, it means that he gives them the ability to do what they were created to do. And that's why the Bible tells us that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because it is God who blesses us with the ability, with the grace to do what he has asked us to do. And God blessed the birds and the fish, and they were able to reproduce. Verse 24, we come to the sixth day here, and it says, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. In verse 27, it says, and God said, and God, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The sixth day, God creates animals, and then he creates creatures that will inhabit the land that he provided. And on the sixth day, God completes his creation at the climax here of making mankind people. Verse 26 is very interesting, and it's also been interpreted in many different ways where it says that God said, let us make mankind in our own image and our likeness. There's different ways to interpret this. Some scholars tell us that, that God is talking to himself, and this shows us the Trinity right away at the, the beginning here in, in Genesis. But I have a problem with that interpretation because it doesn't make sense. Why would God be talking to himself? You know, God knows what he's going to do, and I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I believe the Trinity is evident in Genesis 1, because we see that at the beginning, God, the Father, was always there in the beginning, God, and we also see that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and after Christ was revealed, after we learned that Jesus was, was the, the Messiah, and he died and rose again, we begin to understand that Jesus was also there, that's why the book of Hebrews tells us in the past God spoke this is chapter one in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom all he made he also made the universe John 1 tells us in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God he was with God in the beginning and through him were made through him all things were made without him nothing has been made we see that Jesus was there in the beginning along with the father and the son and I just don't think that when the author of Genesis was writing when Moses was writing this he had the concept of the Trinity yet because it hasn't been revealed. They were living in a very plural, religious, uh, polytheistic uh, setting where everyone worshiped all different types of gods. And God says, hey, I'm one. I'm one. And he revealed it by his spirit. And he revealed it through Christ. And we see that. So I don't think that, that Genesis 1 really is talking about the Trinity. Some scholars also teach that this is called a plural of majesty, and this is a very commonly accepted view. And matter of fact, in college, I studied the, the biblical Hebrew, and I even minored in it, and this is what we were taught, that this was a plural of majesty, as if someone is trying to magnify the, gra the greatness of a king or a person. They would talk to them in a plural sense. Yet this isn't consistent with Scripture, and we don't see God talking to himself like he does in this first chapter. So what's the answer? I believe that the simplest answer is always the best, that God is talking to an audience. God is talking to an audience. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Who's he talking to? I believe it's, he's talking to the heavenly court and the angels that are in heaven with him. In Job 38, one of the oldest books that we have in the Bible, 
Job 38, the Lord is about ready to speak to Job and he says this, who, in verse 38, chapter, chapter 38, verse 2, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? Verse 7. While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. I believe, as God said in Job 38, that the angels were there witnessing creation, that the angels were there before God began to do his work of establishing the heavens and the earth. And they were all there witnessing and shouting and singing and praising him because of the wonderful act of creation that is going to happen here. And that's why you see in Genesis 1 when it says, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and so forth. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. Now when God first speaks, he said, Let us make man in our own kind. He's kind of talking to the audience, talking to the angels that are there. But when it comes down to the act of creation, he doesn't make them in the image of angels but he makes them in the image of himself. And that's why we go from a plural setting where let us make mankind in our own image to a singular setting that God created mankind in his own image. You say, well, pastor, I mean, does God really have dialogues with heavenly, his heavenly court and all these things in, in heaven that we don't see, these angels, these spirits, well, let's look at 1 Kings. If you look at 1 Kings, you'll realize that there is this story here that, that is very different from what we would think of when we think of God. But in 1 Kings chapter 22, we have this story of King Josaphat who goes down and he goes to visit King Ahab. King Ahab is the king of Israel. He's very wicked. He's one of the most wicked kings ever. And Ahab asked Josaphat, says, hey, Join with me and fight against these kings, uh, the people of Aram, who are trying to take this land from us, the land of Ramoth-Gilead. And so Jehoshaphat says, well, okay, but first let's seek the Lord. Let's, let's just seek the Lord first. And so Ahab brought all of the prophets together, and they all basically said, go, the Lord will give you victory. Go, King Ahab, you're the best. And Jehoshaphat knew that something wasn't right and that these prophets were basically just saying whatever the king wanted. And so he asked him, he says, is there, is there no longer a prophet in, of the Lord who can inquire of him? And Ahab said, you know, yeah, there is one prophet, but this is what he said, quote, he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. And so they brought in this prophet, his name was Micaiah, and and he repeats basically what all the other prophets said. Go, the Lord will give you victory. And Ahab was mad because he knew that Micaiah was only saying what he wanted to hear. And so he commands him to tell the truth. And this is where the story begins in 1 Kings chapter, or where we pick up the story. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 17. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all of Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let us, let each of one, 
Let each one of them go home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, only bad? Because Micaiah basically says, listen, Israel's going to be scattered. There's going to be no master over them. And that everyone's just going to return to their home because they have no leader. But Micaiah continued, verse 19, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all of the magnitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And then the Lord said, who will entice Ahab in attacking this land called Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I'll go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all the prophets. And he says, you will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. This is a this is a story where God is there in heaven and he sees Ahab and he wants to bring Ahab to his death. And so he's asking, what are we going to do about this, guys? And he's talking to the, 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 the angels there. He's talking to the spirits there. He's talking just to this heavenly host. And he says, finally, one spirit came forward and stood before him and says, I'll entice him. By what means? I'll, I'll put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. That will work. Go do it. But look what verse 23 says. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all the prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. And Ahab goes out to battle and he dies. Verse 20 tells us that the Lord is having this conversation with his audience. He's asking them for ideas and how to deal with Ahab. And that's why the Bible says one suggested this and another that. But when it comes down to it, the Lord will always do what he desires. It will be the Lord, just like he asked, let us, or he states, let us create mankind in our own image. But when it comes down to it, the Lord is going to do it. I believe that this passage is teaching us about the kind of relationship that God has with the heavenly host. Look what David said in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. God has a unique relationship with these angels. God has a unique relationship with these heavenly beings. And he's partnering with them and he's asking them and, and just people are, you know, these things are just suggesting this thing and this and that. And finally God says, go do it. It shows you the unique relationship that God had with this heavenly host. But then we come to the story of Genesis where God is talking again, let us make mankind in our own image and God created them in his own image. Even though we were created from the dust of the earth, God breathed into us and at that moment, life happened and we became human. So why is all this so important to know? And I, I've been setting this up here because the title of my message is that the devil hates God. So why have I set up this whole story of creation and, and this dialogue in the heavenly realms and how God has this conversation and how he created us mankind? Because I believe it's very important to know that God hates, or the devil hates God. He hates him. He hates him so much that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that he has created. 
he attacks and brings the power of hell against all of his creation. Even as our church family has been under attack by the devil, our family personally has been under attack by the devil, our community has been under attack by the devil. I want you to know that it's because God is hated by the devil. Why does the devil hate God so much? I think a couple passages of Scripture will help us understand the hatred and how deep it is. You see, before the creation of the world, angels were already created, and this includes the devil. And according to Job 38, they were all there witnessing the acts of creation and the wonder of God. And then all of a sudden, God comes and he creates mankind in his image. His image. It's a reflection of him. You know, it's such a hard thing to comprehend in our minds to be made in the image of God. And the best we can understand it is with our own children. I remember when, when my wife and I were getting ready to have our first child, I dreamed and thought of constantly what that baby would look like. I dreamed constantly of what our little boy would look like. And then he came out and I was disgusted. I'm just being honest. It was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. But after they cleaned him up and after they finally did things and made him presentable, I looked at it and I looked at him and I said, that's me. That's my wife. That's us. And our son and every single child we had is a reflection of us. They're unique to us because they come from us. So when God created us, we were made in his image. And when God created Adam, God looked at him and said, that's me, unique but in a reflection, an image, a drawing, a model of me. Children that were blessed by him. People that were breathed into by him. Coming from the dust of the earth. Yet made to be in his image. So, so why would we, this created thing that has the breath of God in us. Why would we, people who come from the dust of the earth be hated so much by the devil. It's not because of us. It's because of God. And let me explain. Ezekiel 28 gives us a word, of a judgment towards the king of Tyre. But this passage is very unique because it's not really talking about the king of Tyre. It is... But there's a higher meaning to it, just like we see with Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. You know, there's a higher meaning to that because we know now that he's talking about Jesus. And so here in Ezekiel 28, a judgment's being given to the king of Tyre, but yet this passage is dealing with the devil and it's using figurative language. And you say, well, why do you think it's figurative? Because if you look at the context of what the Lord is about to say to this king, you realize that a king cannot fulfill what the Lord is talking about. And so Ezekiel 28 verse 12 tells us this, Son of man, take a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say this to him. Now I believe that he is going to be 
begin to speak to and about the devil. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you. Your settings and mountings were made of gold, and on the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherubim, so, for so I ordained you. And you were the, on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created. The Bible is talking about the devil, who was this seal of perfection, not this red-faced demon that we think of, you know, with the horns and the tail. He was something that if you saw him, you would say, he is a beautiful thing. He was covered with precious stones and all the, the just imagine being in the glory of God and these stones that are just reflecting his glory. He would shine forth as a beautiful creation. The Bible says that, that the devil was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And the devil was there in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God. And he was dressed with all these stones and covered with gold. He would be a sight to see. And the Bible says that he was blameless in his ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. He was full of pride and wanted to be like God. And so God is going to condemn him. And, and later on in verse 16 of Ezekiel 28 it says this, You sinned, so I drove you in distance from the mount of God and expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you. The devil who was once most, one of the most beautiful and powerful angels that was created was now rejected and thrown down and made a spectacle full of disgrace and dishonor. He no longer was, had the splendor of God that shined upon him but he was thrown in disgrace from the presence of God. And now God chooses, now God chooses to make us as human beings. And guess who's witnessing this? The devil. The devil is witnessing the creation of mankind, a thing that is formed from dust, that does not have the intellect and the wisdom and the splendor that the devil had. And he creates this thing called people, and he looks at it and he breathes life into it and puts his spirit into us and brings life into this thing of dust. And the devil is watching all of this. Could you imagine what is going through his head? And this is just my thoughts here. But the devil is saying, how in the world, God, you can say that is made in your image? Look at me and how beautiful and how, how splendorous I am. These people are just made from dust, and yet I was made and perfect. I was made perfect. And you choose them? You put your spirit in them? You desire them? And you threw me down out of disgrace. And you, you kicked me out of the position that I had. I want to tell you something that the devil hates God. Because he was taken from a position of splendor to a position of dishonor and disgrace. The devil hates God because he can never be like him. 
The devil hates God because he created men and women in his image and his likeness. And the devil hates God enough that he will steal, kill, and destroy everything that comes from him. Why? Because it hurts God. The devil sometimes tries to attack us. My wife and I, we recognize that we are in a season of attack. We don't say that as an excuse. We don't say that just to, to say, woe is me. But we realize that we are under attack. But he's not attacking us, so to say. But he's attacking everything around us. Because it hurts when we see our family suffer. It hurts when we see our friends suffer. It hurts when we see our church family suffer. It hurts us. The devil hates God. The devil hates God because he chose us to be made in his image. And if he can't destroy God, he will destroy everything that reflects him. If the devil cannot hurt and bring suffering to God, then he will bring hurt and suffering to the people who bear his image. Jesus even warned us about this in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's not about you. It's about his hatred towards God. We are simply just the reflection of who he is made in his image and likeness. And when he sees us, that hatred runs deep and he will try to destroy us. Why? Because he hates God. We are caught in between the devil and God. So what do we do? Ephesians 6 tells us, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love that. Because the devil has a lot of resources. He's got a lot of people on his side, a lot of demonic forces. He has all of hell that he will bring against you. Sometimes we feel so weak. Sometimes we feel helpless when the attacks come, when we see our loved ones suffer, when we see people that we love hurt. But the Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Ever since he was thrown with disgrace, he hated God. And he has been doing his schemes ever since the garden with Eve. He has been trying to destroy everything that God has called good. And so the Bible says put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan and his angel dwell in the heavenly realms. 
and they are out to steal, kill, and destroy you. But 13, verse 13 in Ephesians 6 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. Everything, after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Stand firm then. I don't know how to tell you how to fight your battles, but I do know how you fight your battles, and that is with the armor of God. That when you feel so weak and so drawn of strength and you feel like your whole world is collapsed upon you, you must understand that you have the ability to stand strong in the power of God. That you can put on the armor of God and make your stand and be determined that you are going to win because his armor is stronger than every attack that can come against you. Stand firm. Stand firm. My son, seventh grade, was playing against a team in basketball. And we were doing everything we can, and I was coaching at the time, and we were doing everything we can to win. And it was a struggle. And they were big. You know, our team looked like the spies that went into the land of Israel or land of Canaan. We looked like grasshoppers to them. They were big. They were tall. And, and I remember calling a timeout. And I was telling everyone, hey, we've got to make, you know, make things happen. You know, we've got to make sure we get good picks and good cuts. Look for the backdoor opportunity. Pump fake, draw them in. We can just attack the hole, guys. We got to do it. And, and, and I, you know, and got together. We said team, and they, we broke the huddle. And my son Pete looks at me, and he says, Dad, I can't. I can't. And I, I could just see the frustration in his eyes. I could see the, the confusion of, of just trying everything you can do, and it's just failing. And I looked at him, and I spoke to him as a coach, and I looked him in the eyes, and I said, find a way. Find a way. And what I was trying to tell him was, don't quit because you think you can't. Keep trying. Keep trying. And what I did was I spoke confidence into him, and he goes out, and he begins to attack the whole all of a sudden, the big guys start getting into foul trouble. All of a sudden, opportunities where they would begin to collapse on him created opportunities where he could just dish the ball. We were getting layups, and we end up winning the game. Why? Because he did not quit. And because his coach, his father, his dad looked him in the eye and said, find a way. And I want to tell you, church, find a way. No matter what is coming against you, no matter what it seems like over and over again, everything has failed, nothing is working, nothing is changing. I want you to know this, that your Father in heaven is telling you, you have everything you need. Find a way. Take your stand. Don't give up because you will be victorious. You will see the victory of God. Find a way. Dig deep in your faith. Whenever the walls seem to collapse upon my life, I just dig my feet in the ground and I say, God, I'm not moving until you show me, until you prove me your word is true. I will not quit. Because I know this, that the devil hates God. 
And because of that, he hates me. Because of that, he hates you. But we have been given the ability to take our stand against the devil's schemes. And we will stand firm. And we will have victory. Because God's word, his promises, his protection, his strength will never fail. So this is what I tell you as a church. This is what I tell you as a friend. If you are under spiritual attack, if you are going through where it seems like all hell is coming against you, I want to tell you something. Victory is yours. Find a way. Don't give up. Keep doing it. Keep believing. Keep pressing in. And I want to tell you to live like it. Pray like it. Act like it. That the victory is yours. Find a way.